This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Tim Prady will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Hello, everybody. Today, it is October 26, Wednesday afternoon. Right now, the markets have been kind of in flux today. It started off positive. If it ends positive, it'd be four days straight um, of positive market cycles, despite some pretty bad tech earnings and news that's coming out of the tech world. So we'll see. Uh, but clearly, some of the big headlines is shares of Alphabet dipped 6% so far, like the morning. Um, and that's right after the third quarter's earnings on Tuesday that it showed it missed both top and bottom lines. Revenue growth slowed to 6%. Uh, and then Microsoft Intelligence Cloud business segments really taking a hit as well. And you also see the dollar strength kind of ease as we see data coming out in manufacturing, housing, and even a labor market that might be a little bit less stubborn now. So I guess those are my big takeaways, Tim, between you know weakening dollar and uh, some bad news out of the tech world. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think that, look, the uh, the dollar and the markets have been inversely correlated. So anytime you get a correlation that has been that enduring when it reverses, you know, the market wants to take off. So we got a little bit of dollar weakness and you end up seeing a little bit of a rally here. I think the other reason for the rally is the Fed has their guy at the Wall Street Journal. I think it used to be Greg Ip and now it's this guy, Nick uh, Timoros, who basically has helped them jawbone that, yeah, we're going to do 75 bips in November, but it's only going to be 50 bips. And and the new term is not pivot. We ain't getting a pivot. And we're probably not, we may, you know, next year, sometime early next year, we'll get a pause. But the excitement is just the step down. That's the new, the excited bull phrase of the Fed is not going to do 75. It's only going to be 50. So it's like this step down rally here over the last four days. You had a little bit of dollar weakness. There's always the optimism because earnings has hung in, have hung in as well as they have, uh, that uh, that earnings season is actually a period where you can rally. Uh, now, as you said, Google and Microsoft certainly uh, threw some cold water on that. Both of those stocks are down around 6% right now. I'm a little surprised because I'm, I'm no expert on those names and I haven't gone through those earnings granularly. Um, but, you know, ex there's always a delta between what's the real number and what's the consensus number, right? Like we've talked a lot about this, that the street really is not proactive on the way down. It's just not how Wall Street research departments supported by the investment bankers work. That's not how it works. They are just going to put what, for the most part, there are good analysts out there who will take some flack from their bankers, but for the most part, analysts are going to take what the company tells them to put in there. Uh, they're going to be a couple pennies above or below. Uh, so when those numbers came in last night and they weren't that far off and the guidance was only slightly worse, I would have thought that the whisper numbers, the real numbers on the buy side would have incorporated that. But clearly the rate of change, the slowdown on the rate of change, certainly at, 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 at Microsoft, it's all about uh, the Azure business and that growth rate seems to be slowing a little bit. Um, and, uh, and at Google, it's more on the ad side uh, slowing and the YouTube ad side business slowing. So I, I would have thought that the whisper number, the buy side numbers were lower and they weren't. Uh, so clearly there is still um, 
room to go down on earnings and there is still room to go down on where real buy side expectations are. Yeah, the advertising is always interesting, those numbers and um, to see what happens to things like digital media. You know, a lot of tech companies are laying day, lay, are announcing layoffs. And uh, I feel like when digital media is one of the first things that gets cut, that's has a lot of indications what about what they think their growth prospects are. Overall, we've seen that U.S. business activities really contracted for a fourth month straight. You know, we've seen orders shrink when we're looking at S&P's global October flash composite index. That's dropped to a 47.3 um, below 50 indicates a contraction. Uh, so, yeah, I think that just really shows, you know, it's just indicative of broader business activity right now. Yeah, the Fed's getting what they want to see, right? I always use the Cantrowitz HOPE uh, acronym. Housing is the first H that is falling apart hard. O is orders. That is really starting to fall apart. I mean, you know, uh, as you said, you've had four months in a row now of negative business activity. New orders are even weaker. Look, it's a global economy. The Chinese are lying their ass off about 3% growth. There's no way they're really putting up 3% real growth. Europe is, you know, uh, is, is obviously contracting at this point. So, you know, we are going to put up a Q3 positive number on GDP and nobody is going to care because the trend is so clear, whether it's housing, whether it's industrial orders, whether it's the profit cycle, and you're even starting to see the end of the tail, the lagging indicator of employment starting to soften. There's just no question about what the direction is. And everybody understands that monetary policy uh, manifests with long and variable lags. And when you get to 7% on, on, on mortgages, and we're through 7% on mortgages, you are going to see dramatic slowdown in activity, both from businesses and consumers. No, that's, that's for sure. Um, you know, and then I, I think when you're looking at Inflation calls on earnings, you know, when we talk about earnings, inflation has been brought up by two-thirds of the S&P 500 call so far. So clearly, um, what's what's most on what's most on the C-suite's mind right now? What's most on the C-suite's mind is probably managing inventories. It depends what business you're in, right? But it's man, it, it it's managing the slowdown, and it's hard. I mean, it's it's always hard for businesses to admit that they're over earning. Uh, and that they need uh, to contract. They need to manage a slowdown. Uh, so I think the number one thing is not probably going too far on pricing, getting inventories lean, uh, making sure that your supply chain is going to be durable as geopolitical as geopolitical risks continue to go higher. I would say those are all the, the, the main C-suite concerns. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you're looking at companies like PepsiCo, they're talking about inflation, but as a city you know, group and Abbott Laboratories. So across yeah. a wide variety of sectors, you know, their pricing concerns seem to be paramount. Yeah, they're taking pricing though. I mean, you know, Pepsi, I used to cover uh, the staples category and my brother actually works for a big consumer staples company. We talk about it all the time. They're, they have they have pricing still scheduled for the next two, three, four quarters out. So mm -hmm. you are not going to see relief in the middle of the store when you go through the supermarket. The cost of cereal ain't coming down anytime soon. The price increases are already planned. 
and those price increases are going to keep coming in uh, over several quarters. And it kind of brings me to, I wrote an essay a ways back in July, I think, uh, about uh, a book written by an economist named Thomas Philippon. And, and one of the things he talks a lot about, and one of the inflationary drivers that I care about is um, is, is, is the 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 effect of populism, the effect of bad governing. And one of the effects of bad governing that we've had in this country, and I'm sorry for this digression, is that you've, we've allowed way too much M&A in so many categories that you don't really have meaningful competition or you have so few competitors that without having to really collude, Everybody knows that if there's only a couple guys, we're all gonna we're all gonna just keep taking pricing, right? Nobody's gonna get crazy and start cutting prices and try to take market share because then our profit we all lose on the profit side. So it, it's one of the reasons why we continue to have so much goods inflation because in too many industries and in too many categories we don't have adequate competition, and that's really the result of what I think has been shitty governance around M&A. Yeah. Um- there's not been a lot of trust busting. I mean, companies can buy Whole Foods out of the tech sector. It's yeah. clearly streamlining industries and, um, you know, Facebook acquisitions and all these companies are the ones that have gotten hit. Um, so you look at it a lot of ways that some of the parts might be more profitable than the whole. Like if these sure. were governed as certain entities, they'd probably run as a more streamlined ship and would have better growth prospects and everything else. But they've gotten too large and too bloated. Yep. Yeah, 100%. Uh, we've also seen goods trade decline. Uh, you know, goods trade was a kind of a rare success story when we were talking about COVID. Um, yeah. Now it's definitely one of the biggest victims. So, uh, yeah, let's let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah. You give people a couple trillion dollars to buy stuff, they're going to buy stuff, <laughs> especially yeah. when they can't travel. Uh, and, it, and it came out of the services side. But yeah, I mean, there was never any doubt that the good side, the demand on the good side uh, was going to slow. And what I think is really interesting as we talk about inflation is you're starting to see goods inflation roll over, you know, as freight rolls over, as some commodities roll over. Um, you, you know, there is a good reason why used car prices have rolled over because you now have availability as you get through some of the supply chain problems. So goods inflation is rolling over, but the bigger part of the economy, the services side of the economy, isn't rolling over. And because what are you paying for? What is your cost of goods in a services business? Wages. And and you know, the, the, you know that's the E. That 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 is employment. That is really barely starting to crack. Yeah, you're seeing some announcements, but it's like Microsoft saying we're going to slow our rate of hiring. You know, and there will be some attrition. There will be some layoffs. We won't replace some people. But you're not seeing like people saying my work, except for Elon Musk and Twitter. You're not seeing people saying, look, we need to prepare for a long-term recession, and therefore we are going to take down headcount growth meaningfully over the next two, three years. Those that That's not what you're seeing. And look, the employment data, if you're the Fed, is frustrating as hell because you're just not seeing the kind of employment weakness yet. You will, but again, it's going to come with those long and variable lags. You know, one of the interesting things that have happened uh, recently is we saw the budget deficit was sliced in half for the fiscal year of 2022. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that's obviously just a drawback of COVID spending, but and you know the budget shortfall declined to 1.37 trillion. Uh, last year was 2.776 trillion. 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's progress in that front relatively, but, um, you know, it was below estimates. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a blip. As you said, you had yeah. so much profitability that came out of all of the money printing. You had so much in the way of cap gains. Much of that is going to be reversed for 22. Not a lot I mean, of cap gains coming it. out of 2022, but it does, it seems. Yeah, I mean, uh, even think about it. I mean, you know, we're talking about a success on budget deficits at 1.7 billion. Yeah. I can, I'm old enough to remember when like 400 billion was it was was a really big problematic deficit. Like, right. eventually it's going to matter. Eventually, just like in, in the U.S. is a long ways from being the U.K. We are, you know, the dollar is the default currency. You know, we are the the, the cleanest shirt and all that shit. But eventually, the United States is going to have to show that we can spend and pay the bills without having to print money because eventually money printing in order to you know in order to conduct QE or in order to manage uh, bond prices is not going to be acceptable and you will see the selling of US assets from abroad so these deficits are going to matter i don't know when they're going to matter but they are going to matter in the u.s eventually and you know look look at what we're going to be running into here we're about to have an election in next week and um the republicans are going to take the house they may take the senate uh so you're going to have we're going to have a debt ceiling disaster vote maybe um, the Republicans seem to be willing to touch the third rail of politics, which is going after Social Security and Medicare. Uh, so spending is going to come down and that has implications for for growth. That has implications for um, if, if the Fed clearly is going to be in tightening mode. If you're not getting any help on the fiscal side, it just means that much slower uh, U.S. economic growth and that much less stimulus. I mean, no, for sure. And you mentioned if they touch the third rail, um, I mean, that's definitely been what people have trying to accuse Rick Scott of, uh, you know, he's, yeah. he's been right in the open about wanting to go after Social Security. And uh, I mean, privatization was at one point kind of important. They've walked back on that yeah. potentially since the early 2000s, but it seems to be a, back in the fold. Uh, but, you know, that's all coming at a time when, you know, 55 percent of respondents feel their retirement savings are really behind what they need to be. Yeah. Uh, so if you're cutting COLAs on Social Security and if you're cutting Medicare benefits, that just makes the life of a retiree much harder uh, or people in their 50s approaching retirement. Yeah. So. yeah, it's a bad situation because you know what happens. What you get behind on where you think you need to be in savings, you start incurring more risk. And our mantra here is you need to incur less risk. You need to uh, find ways to make sure you've got some principal protection uh, in your portfolio. Now is, you know, Tina is dead. There is no alternative. Well, there is an alternative now. And you can clip coupons and make high single digit returns without incurring risk. You might give up some liquidity, but without incurring risk for a while now. So, you know, what you need to be doing is instead of incurring more risk is you need to go ahead and hit singles for a little while. And maybe you get a better point in the future to incur risk. Now ain't that time. No, especially when, you know, Northwestern Mutual just came out with a survey. Uh, I think the number of respondents came on was like, it was close to 1.25 million saved in retirement, which is a 20% increase, you know, from, from whatever the last survey was. So, um, yeah, you know, you just, 
fixed expenses have grown dramatically and then um, your ability to combat them has just become more difficult as well. Yeah. The key is not to reach. The key is not to say, you know, it doesn't make sense for me to incur a lot of risk, but I'm behind, so I better do so. That is the wrong answer. That is the wrong strategy. What do you think uh, we we discussed we did discuss this week, Tim? Uh, well, you know, we're still early on in earnings season. We got a long ways to go. I think you're going to continue to see guidance coming down. I tell you, I've got a, a lot of respect for the strategist at Morty Stanley, Mike Wilson, and he he's been bearish. He's been right. He's been making the argument that S and P earnings are going to go from about 240 to 200. And basically, he came out yesterday and said, "Look, we'll get to around 200." by the first quarter of 23, and that's where I think the market bottoms. I think the risk on that is there's two things you always have to consider, you know, the price level, but also time. And and my fear is that the duration at which the Fed needs to stay at high levels is gonna be a long time. And and, and that's where uh, that duration risk uh, comes in. That's where where um, I, I don't think it makes sense to try to be picking bottoms here because I think we're going to go through a long, hard period of, of, of lower returns and higher interest rates. One thing uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by and this story is just manifesting itself is what happened at the Chinese Communist Convention the yeah. past week uh, where it looked like Hu Jintao was taken away. Um, you know, Xi's predecessor functionally and we don't know <laughs> what, what what's happened exactly, whether that was an arrest or if there's charges or anything else, but it looked kind of like a coup-like behavior playing out um, online TV, and yeah, who knows what that is, you know, if if she was feeling pressure and had to act like a strong man, who knows uh, what's well, going on. My essay that I'm writing this week is, is, is partly about tail risks, and I think one of the, t- and, and by definition, a tail risk is a risk that isn't really priced into markets right now. And, man, I don't know how much more evidence you need to see that G clearly, I mean, he talked about it, like, it, you know, it, 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 is, it is their historical destiny, right, to consolidate, to reunify Taiwan. Um, he's made his intentions very clear, and, and he's moved out the Hu Jintao's, the more moderates, uh, to, to much, a much more hawkish group. Uh, and a much more hawkish group that he can entirely control. So, man, it, it, it's, I think it's a very scary situation as to what could potentially be happening with China and Taiwan. And the question is, is for how long do we call it a tail risk? Uh, and how long do we look at it and say, yeah, this very well is likely to happen. And if you just, again, you think we had supply chain issues over with, with, with COVID and with the Russia-Ukraine war, you can't make much without Taiwanese manufactured semiconductors. Uh, so, I mean, you are talking about the risk that you bring the global um, that you bring the global economy to a halt. And I have no way of knowing whether or not G is willing to do that. But man, he sure certainly seems to be willing to to threaten it, and he seems to be moving closer in that direction. And people who are much more shrewd and closer, and you know, people who know uh this this regime people who study it they seem to really believe this is going to happen so it, yeah. that, that that's a that is to me the scariest tail risk that's out there and a tail risk that may need to start get priced in priced in no absolutely 
Yeah, it was, it was wild watching it uh, in the aftermath, and um, I mean, more reporting to come, but you know, initially, yeah, initial report doesn't look all that great. Um, all right, well, thanks for your time today, Tim. Uh, for our listeners and subscribers, thanks for your time as well, and we're out. Appreciate it. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WellFest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WellFest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WellFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WellFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the contents. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.